Q&A. Q&A. We're in a series. This is part three of a series called Q&A. Hey, check this out. I really want to tell you about this part. So uh, how many of you know it's November? And November has five Sundays in it this year. And so we decided we're going to do this five-part series. So the first four parts of the series are stuff that I came up with based on my conversations with you. And I've kind of talked to you that, that ultimately what we're discussing and what we're talking about this series is stuff that people bring to me on a regular basis. And this isn't just you or two of you or five of you. This is everybody. Everybody comes to me with basically the same, categorically the same questions. And so I thought, man, how fun would it be just to, just to kind of cover these on a Sunday morning and talk about these on a Sunday morning and help you so that before even these things hit your life, you're already prepared. Your mind's been renewed. And you're ready to go and take on whatever life throws your way. But, everybody say, but. But on week five, I thought, here's what I want to do. I want to leave week five wide open for you to ask anything you want about any subject wide open. Anything's on the table. And so how many of you have questions? You got weird questions. I get, I get weird questions. Don't get me wrong. We're, we're covering life questions for these first four weeks. But I get weird questions about like, you know, creation and, and dinosaurs or heaven and hell and my cat and people. And, you know, you get, you get all kinds of questions about social issues. And so anyway... Anything is on the table. Anything is available. And so what we've got in the back is a box. And in that box, I want you to go ahead. And there's some little cards and paper and whatever. Put your question on there. Even on the day of, I think you'll be able to, uh, we're going to set it up to where you can text in your questions and we'll answer them live. And so um, I've done this a couple times in the past. did this a few times as a youth pastor years and years and years ago. And it's just a lot of fun to take on questions. And so anyway, uh, first four weeks. Uh, life questions. Last week, anything goes, anything's on the table. Everybody say, okay. How many have a question already? You have a question you, you want to ask? All right, get back. Don't, don't not put your question in. Go put it in the back. And if it's really, really weird, maybe I'll just answer it personally. I'm just kidding. So anyway, Q&A, we are in a, a part three of this series, Q&A. On week one, uh, we, we talked about how do I deal with my stress? And that was incredible because, I mean, you know, everybody... Everybody's got stress at some point in their life. Last time we talked about what do you do when storms or crisis hit your life? Everybody's good for two or three of those. And again, the ser- this series I'm covering stuff that everybody deals with because this is what you guys bring to me and ask me about. And so today I want to talk to you about the very, very sensitive and emotionally loaded subject of, gosh, what do I do after a big epic fail? What do I do after I've failed? I I mean, I just, I, I, I went for broke and I got broke and, and I tried and I went all out and it, it backfired on me and blew up my face or I tried this, I attempted this, uh, this relationship failed, this business adventure failed, this attempt at this failed. I just, and how many you know, we live in a culture that kind of celebrates fails, don't we? Like if you, if you go to Google and you search fail, the first thing that will come up is like these like videos of people who have epic failures. And I think it's really, really good for us to occasionally see that because it'll make us feel better about ourselves. Because when you see the stupidity of other people, sometimes it makes you feel better about yourself. I don't know that that's really where you want to draw yourself worth from. Ultimately, it should come from Jesus. But I think every once in a while, it's just nice to put a good smile on your face and think, well, I've failed. But at least I never, at least I never did this. Check this video out. That last one's my favorite one. Because this is a guy doing his job. It's not like a guy trying to do something dumb. It's just a guy just trying to do his job. And he flips the car over. And you can tell, too. He's like, oh, no, no. And he tries to run over. And he gets to it. And he just doesn't even matter. And then the car just, at first I thought, it's just going to go into a ditch. And, you know, no, it like goes into a ravine and then like flips over. Oh, that's good stuff. So turn to your neighbor and say, at least I never did that. 
At least I've never done that. Hey, real quick. Has anybody ever done any of those things in the video? Has anybody ever? Yeah, got one here. We'll talk later. I want to know which one. I love the snowboard. The snowboard one tricked me. I felt like when the snowboard guy went up, I thought he's going to go into the tree. It is. He didn't go in the tree. Anyway, isn't that bad? I wanted him to go in the tree. What does that say about your pastor? Um, so how do I recover from an epic fail? What do I do, you know, on the heels of a failure? I've tried. I went out for it. I attempted and it just backfired on me and I went for the failure. Now, here's the problem with failure. I, I wanted to lighten your mood because failure is an emotionally loaded thing. We hate the idea of failing. We hate the idea of being a failure. We have these moments where we are scarred as children. You know, when you got in the school play and then you froze or you did, you know, you, you had these. And this is why we have these 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 incredible like fears of like I have the dream where I'm in front of my entire school in my underwear or something. I mean, we have these like why? Why? Because we fear failure. And what's funny is this is as, as much as we fear failure, I think we're actually more afraid of being seen as a failure. And, 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 and I think this is true because if you look at like the list of fears, um, the, the fear of, of public speaking is always number one and fear of dying is like three or four. So like, you know, like I really am just afraid of being seen as a failure if I die. I mean, that's just not a big deal. Nobody really cares. But if I look like an idiot, that's the worst. And so anyway, here's here. And again, here's some of the problems I think that we all have when it comes to failure. Number one is this. Uh, we, we fear failure. We fear looking like a failure. And so that, how many know fear is kind of works like a self-fulfilling prophecy? Because what happens is when you fear something enough, you put your mind on it. And wherever your mind goes and your attention goes, everything seems to follow. So this is why we get into the realm of like self-fulfilling prophecy. We, we feared it so much that we gave it our attention and we leaned in that direction until it actually came true. And so because we fear failure, we're going to have all kinds of problems. Number two is this most of us, and we're going to talk about this today a lot, is we misunderstand failure. Like, we don't really have a good perception of failure. We, l- listen to what John Maxwell says. He said, the difference between average people and achieving people is their perception and response to failure. And if you have a wrong understanding of failure, you're going to go through life and, and have, create more issues. Here, here's the third one. This is where we're at definitely culturally in this little generational moment that we're in, is we're unprepared for failure. Like, parents, many of us are not preparing our kids for failure because here's what you and i know you're gonna fail right like you're you're, don't act like you've never done anything dumb okay how many we're all gonna fail at some point in our life at something we're all gonna fail okay good don't be see we fear fear failure we're all going to fail and what we're doing right now many times is we're not preparing our kids for failure and this is why we've got this culture that says every kid gets a trophy but life don't work like that like does everybody get a raise? Does everybody get a promotion? Did everybody succeed at their venture? Did everybody pull that? No, they did. Not everybody gets a trophy. You need to prepare your kids right now because here again, here's what happens. If we we're all going to fail in life, if we have a failure and then we become afraid of it, we don't understand it and we're not prepared for it, it's going to devastate and cripple us. So it's good to just go and say, "Hey, I, I remember that uh, my son plays football and he plays quarterback and and um he played, this is his second year, but in his first year, I don't know how many games he went, and he never threw an interception. And, and so um, I'm like, you know, like waiting for it to happen. And I remember the first time he threw his, his first interception, I went out and I gave him a high five. I said, man, congratulations. That is awesome. Why? Because every quarterback throws what? 
failures. You know who has the most completions in, in the NFL? Brett Favre. You know who has the most interceptions? Yeah, yeah, you know who's got the most touchdowns right now? Peyton Manning. You know who's about to have the most interceptions? It's going to be real close, but like guys that throw a lot of touchdowns, they throw a lot of picks. Because when you put the ball in the air, you're taking a chance, you're taking a risk. That ball's going to get bounced around, somebody's going to pick it. But life is full of failures, and if you're not like prepared that failure sometimes is okay. Sometimes failure's good. How many know we learn much more from our failures than we do our successes? Somebody even said that, that success many times in life can be a hindrance because success breeds self-imitation. And so you just keep doing the same thing over and over, thinking that's going to continue to work. And then we find out, wow, that didn't work either. Sometimes success breeds arrogance and hubris. And so we just think, well, I'm the man and look what I pulled off and look what I did. And we forget how God put us in a position to succeed. And because we thought it was us and we succeeded, we became arrogant. And so many times failure can be a very, very good and healthy thing. And so today we are going to look at a guy who had a pretty epic fail. In the book of Exodus, there's this guy named Moses. And Moses' life is pretty fascinating. If you haven't seen the movie trailer, there's a movie coming out, I think, in just a few weeks called, I think it's God and Kings, but it's the life of Moses, and it looks incredible. Go see the movie. I'll be there. And so, that was the weirdest noise I have ever heard at church. That was like an elephant grunted. What was I talking about? Moses. So here, here, here's what I want you to know about Moses real quick. Moses is actually the most talked about guy of the Old Testament. When you look at the number of verses, I think there's like over 800 verses referring to Moses in the Bible. He is the kind of the central character of the Old Testament. I mean, there's David, there's Abraham, there's Joseph. There's a bunch of other cool guys. But Moses is kind of like the centerpiece of the Old Testament. And, and he leads the, leads the most fascinating and interesting life. God uses him to write the first five books of the Bible. We call the Pentateuch, the Torah, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Moses is attributed to have... have collecting and writing those and so um but the way moses's life begins if you don't know his story is is he's born as a little hebrew boy in egypt at a time when the hebrews were slaves and and pharaoh basically saw that these people really love each other so much that they multiply quickly and um they're growing at such a, a rapid pace that uh eventually they're going to have more dudes then we have dudes, and that means that their army is going to get to where they could overthrow our, you know, here's what we're going to do. So we're going to kill all the Hebrew baby boys, and we'll do this in cycles so that they never have enough dudes to mount up and build up an army and then kick my butt. And so this, this is how we're going to do. And so what Moses' mom does, this is a little story of where he, they, they take the baby, and they put him in a little basket, and they ship him up or down the river, however that goes. And then he's discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. And Pharaoh's daughter is like, oh, look, a little baby. And so she takes the baby in and uh, and basically keeps the child as her own. And so Moses, even though he's a Hebrew boy, is raised in the Egyptian palace. And for the first 40 years of his life, people think like this happens when he's young. I don't know how the movie's going to do it. But with, like Moses's life, just so you know, is broken into three different 40 year periods. The first 40 years of his life, he's an Egyptian. He's incredible schooling uh historians think that he had uh, military training and on and on and so forth but when he's 40 he has this epic fail that we're going to read about today check this out in exodus chapter 2 this is another reason why you know the bible was was written by real people um how many know when you write your own story you minor on your fails and you major on your successes 
And the Bible's full of failures. It's full of people that do epically dumb things. And so this is one of, if Moses was putting this together and Moses was writing this, he is free to write about his own failure here that he is about to make. The Bible says in verse 11, one day, this is a random day. One day after Moses had grown up, he's 40, by the way, he went out to where his, that's maybe, that maybe he is like being nice to himself there. One day when I was grown, you are 40, dude, that's more than grown. Um, being generous there. Um, after he had been grown, uh, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, like, um, he killed the Egyptian and then hid the body in the sand. The next day he went out and he saw two Hebrews fighting with each other. And he asked the one in the wrong, so why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the guy responds, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me just like you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. And when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now, this is his fail. This is his big moment. This is, and here's, it may seem short, but I want you to see this though. Moses has in his heart the fact that he's a Hebrew and he's not an Egyptian. That something is not right. There's a, there's a, there's a tension in his heart. There's something he clearly sees as an injustice and it doesn't set well with him. Even though he was raised as an Egyptian, he knew in his heart that he was a Hebrew. And when he was looking at his own people being beaten and mistreated and worked as slaves and worked as dogs and totally taken advantage of, his heart began to break. And so finally in this moment, he finds Finally, just says, I've had enough. So I look this way and make sure nobody's looking. And he went and murdered an Egyptian, which tells me a, a lot. Like he genuinely cared. He saw the injustice and out of his injustice. And this is where his fail really comes is that I think Moses had the right intention. I think Moses deep in his heart knew that he wanted to be able to deliver his people, help his people set the injustice right. That was in his heart. How many know that sounds good? That's a good intention. But how many of you know that many times fails in life come not because of your intention, because sometimes you have intentions, but this is what Moses had. Moses just had a poor strategy. You're going to liberate this many hundreds of thousands or a million, but you're going to liberate them and you're just going to kill one dude? That's a bad strategy. This is one of you. That's, that's bad strategy. And so many times life is like that for us. Many times we have good intentions. We set out to go do something good or we want something good. We dream about something good in our future. And then we set out for it and we have the most horrible strategy in the world. The other thing that he had was this. is, is He had a great intention, but he had bad timing. Like timing is key to success if you don't know that. Like being in the right place at the right time is crucial. And so same thing. He's just not ready yet. He's just not prepared yet. And, and, and lastly, I would say this. He... he his intent was good, but his method was immoral. Like God was still anti-murder. I know the Ten Commandments hadn't been written yet, but if you read the Noahide laws, like murdering other people was still a no-no on the God list, right? So like Moses' intent is pure. Bad strategy, bad timing, and then he just goes about it in an incredibly immoral way. And sometimes you're going to be faced that way. You will sometimes be tempted to justify the means, to justify, because they're like, but look at what I'm doing. You'll try to do and get to a righteous outcome and do it in a moral way. And I'll tell you right now, you're going you're gonna to be wrong. Like, 
Doing something immoral here to get something good there is still wrong. Don't make God so small. As if God couldn't get you to that in a righteous way. Does that make sense? So like this is Moses' fail. He sets out to want to set the injustice, to want to do something good. His heart is pure, but he fails. And so he ends up running off to where he's sitting by a well in Midian. He ends up meeting some cute girls. Helps him out, takes care of him. The dad's like, hey, who's this guy? Invites him into the family. He ends up marrying one of the daughters. And for the, remember I said there's three 40-year periods. So the next 40 years of his life, he's doing the family business. He's working for his father-in-law as a shepherd in the desert. And for the next 40 years of his life, he left what was in his heart after that failure. And so, you know, here's kind of what I see here. Is that there are two different ways that people respond to failure. Like there's a good way to respond and there's a bad way. This is when we get into like understanding failure and understanding how I should respond to it. And the first, the first one that I'd like to share with you is this. I'm so used to my TV being there. The, the first one I want to share with you is this. Is many times people when they fail, this is like the difference between losers and winners here. Is that losers end up blaming other people. Like that's the out. Like you ever been there before? You failed. And rather than take responsibility, you know, my dad was this and my mom was that and my teacher was stupid and, and uh, my, you know, my boss was this and my, and it's always everybody else's fault and we become a victim mentality because of that. But the way that a winner responds is they just take responsibility. They ask the simple question, how am I responsible for this and what, what role did I have in this and what can I do differently and what can I change? They just take responsibility. Number two is this, is that the, the difference again between winners and losers is this. Losers just repeat the same mistake. The Bible talks about this in the terms of a fool. It says that a fool repeats his own folly over and over and over again. Winners just learn from their mistakes. It's a learning experience. It's just something that I need to analyze, look at, and move on from. Again, two different responses to failure. Expect to fail again. This is where we just adopt that as our identity. You know what? It's just what I, you know what? My daddy was a this and my granddaddy was this. And so I'm just going to be this too. And we've adopted this identity of failure. And we just expect this is just how my future will always be. And I've had conversations with people, whether it was money or alcohol or some other type of vice. And be like, well, that's just the way it's always been. That's just the who I am. That's just the way it's going to be. And we just expect to fail again. I'm telling you what, winners change their mind and they just hope for the best. They just create a positive outlook of what could potentially be. And then lastly, again, the difference between winners and losers is this, is is that people that respond negatively just fear failure. Others, they trust God. And this is how we respond. Now, I've got to be honest. Moses kind of goes the way of, of the wrong guy. I don't hear him blaming other people, but he sits out and chills out and hangs out and does about nothing for 40 years until God shows up. Check this out. In Exodus chapter 3, one chapter later, verse number 1, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. This is the same mountain where later they would be given the Ten Commandments. The Bible says in verse 2 that there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. So Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. And so Moses thought, I'm going to go over and check that out. Why does the bush not burn up? How many of you would check that out too? We're attracted to weird things. This is why traffic's bad. We want to watch the accident, see what happens. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush saying, Moses, Moses, 
And Moses responded, that here I am. Now, this is the first step to recovering from failure. This is it right here. It was so simple. The first step is just to make yourself available again. To get back up again. The Bible says that a righteous man, though he falls seven times, just keeps getting back up. And at some point, it took 40 years, but he got back up and God called his name and he finally just made himself available. And that's the first step to recovering from failure. Just get back up again. As a matter of fact, let me, let me encourage you with this. God is way more concerned with your availability than your ability. Like God doesn't need a lot of ability. As a matter of fact, Moses is going to go on to tell God, I think you might want to choose somebody else because I have a speech issue and I don't talk really well. God, I don't care. I don't need your ability. I just need your availability. Like I do the miraculous. You, I just need you to show up. Isn't that comforting? That God doesn't need you to be great. God doesn't need to be perfect. God doesn't need to be overly talented. God, you know what God needs? Just be available. And it all begins with that little moment. Just just show up. Just start there. And so here's what I want to get you to see. Is that Moses takes these first steps to just saying, I'm ready to begin again. I'm ready to have God speak into my life. Maybe God can do something with me yet. And I'm telling you that the way that you do this is that you have to change your mind about failure. And I think this is the first step for Moses. I'm going to give you a few key, key, key important thoughts. I hope you get this today. Uh, Number one is this. As you begin to rework and rethink and and re-understand the way you look at failure, the first thing you need to understand is this, is failure is common to all. Hey, yeah, failure is common to all. They all do it. We all do it. Failure is something that we are just all going to have happen at some point in our life. We're all sinful. We live in a fallen world. It's going to happen. We are going to fail. And guess what? It won't be the worst thing in the world. All throughout history, as a matter of fact, when you look at some of the greatest people in history, again, you ever heard the story of Napoleon Bonaparte, the French military leader, incredible military mind and strategist? Do you know that when he graduated military school that he graduated 42nd in his class out of 58? How many know that's not looking too good? You may want to change career paths. You might want to think about something else for your future son. And yet he became so. So like life is full of people. I could go on whether you look at like guys like Thomas Edison was considered a failure for, for most of his career. The Wright brothers considered a failure. President Lincoln considered a failure most of his life. All the things he tried to do whether it was in business or politics. He usually lost or his business went under. It was all kinds of bad. And so, again, most people in life, failure is a part of the process. It's common to everyone. Go read the Bible. The Bible only tells the stories, except for Jesus. It only tells the stories of people who have epic failures. When you start in the New Testament, you got like guy, guy like Peter. He denies Jesus. Thomas has doubting issues. James and John want to like blow up people if they don't believe in God. You know, you have people of the Old Testament. You got David and Solomon, and they've got woman issues. They can't. I don't want to get into that. And so, like. Uh, Abraham like sells his wife. I mean, you know, that's you've never done that before. And so, you know, all the people of the Old Testament have these epic fails. And again, life is not about whether or not you're going to fail or not. You are. It's how you're going to respond to that failure that is key. And the first thing you need to know is you're not alone. Everybody does it. Failure is common to all. Number two is this. This is huge failure. And it, I remember learning this as a young man. Failure is not the opposite of success. It's not. As a matter of fact, failure and success are, are twins. They're close cousins. They're, they're, they're a part of the same family, at least. Does that make sense? The reason why failure is not the opposite of success and why they're actually very, very close together is because failure and success are both the byproducts of activity and risk-taking. You can't get failure 
without taking a risk. And you can't get success without taking a risk. Therefore, the opposite of success is not failure. The opposite of success is apathy. The opposite of success is laziness and to do nothing at all. So the very fact that you fail is proof that at least you tried something. At least you attempted something. I know so many guys that sit back and they'll, they'll, they'll basically armchair quarterback. They'll backseat drive. They'll, they'll, you know what you should have done? Well, you know what I would have done? You ain't ever done crap in your life. Quit telling other people what they ought to have done, should have done differently or whatever it is. Get up off your butt and do something. I guarantee you, take a risk. Trust God. Have some hope. Go for something and go for broke when you do it. And guess what? If success happens, let's give glory to God. And if failure happens, we'll just get up and try it again. That's the way that we go after life. Failure is not the opposite of success. Listen to Dan Levy. He's the R&D guy of of or was the R&D guy of Apple. He told this to his employees in the R&D department. He said, I want no less than an 80% failure rate at everything you attempt. That's why we got cool gadgets, people. He said, if, if you're not failing at 80%, you are not trying enough craziness. You are not pushing it far enough and hard enough. I want an 80 per- Who thinks like this? People who have a right perception of failure. The failure is not necessarily the worst thing in the world. At least you went for it and at least you tried. Number whatever is this. Failure is not who you are. Failure is not who you are. One of the biggest mistakes of failure is, is that we call ourselves a failure instead of calling an event a failure. Does that make sense? Like... I've done several things in my life that I just wasn't real good at and I tried and it didn't work and then I called somebody and had them do it. And so anyway, but but in that moment, I don't sit back and say, oh, I'm a failure. I am this worthless, horrible. I don't ever do that. I'm, as a matter of fact, when I was kind of digging through the, the memory bank that's not real great anyway, of, of trying to figure out some of my epic fails, it was hard for me to come up with them. And it's not because I haven't failed, it's because I don't even think of them like that. That's just one more thing that I just log away as something that didn't go well, but I kept on going and I kept on moving. So I don't have, and some of you are the opposite. Some of you have like a list of all the things that you didn't do well, you didn't do good at. You did, I don't even have that list. I don't have a great memory, so that really benefits me in that realm. I don't want to take full credit for that, but I will tell you this, is that failure is not just something that I adopted as a part of my identity. Again, people that, that, people that have greatness in their life, They have a short-term memory about their failures. They just let it go and keep on moving. Uh, Number four is this. uh, Failure is not the end of your life. Some of us get like that when we we make a big epic fail and this goes down the toilet and this went really, really bad. And we're like, my life is over. It's not the end of your life, little buckaroo. You're going to be fine. As a matter of fact, there's this great story about Jack Welch. Jack Welch was the CEO that kind of took GE to prominence and, and was considered like, the CEO of all CEOs. He was just a brilliant guy. And But early in his career, he um, he was a, a part of a certain branch of GE and then moved up from within the ranks to eventually become the CEO. But when he was at the lower levels, he used to work in a chemical lab, and he actually blew up a corner of the building. Nobody died. Uh, he blew up a corner of the building, like the corner office exploded in an experiment. Now, how many of you know, like, that's a pretty bad fail. You're going to lose your job. And this is, this is how he recounts the story. He goes, um, sure to be fired for such a big screw-up. My boss actually told me that he would never fire me now. He'd invested too much into my education. 
Like this is, again, this is how we ought. It's not the end. It's not over. It's not who I am. It's not Thomas Edison said this. They talked about him being a failure and, and, and maybe you ought to move on and quit and give up and whatever. And he goes, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never failed. I've just found 10,000 ways not to make a light bulb. Again, they don't, they don't look at it the same way we look at it. Number, I don't know where we're on, failure. Failure, please get this. We're changing our mind about failure. We're laughing at our failures. We're overcoming our failures. We're letting them go. We're changing our mind about them. Failure is the opportunity to start over with more wisdom. Failure is the opportunity to start over with more wisdom. I guarantee you, Moses didn't go back in with the same strategy again. Moses didn't go in and say, I'm going to find one guy. I'm going to take him out. I'm going to hide him in the sand. That's my strategy. I'm going to go back to that and go back to what worked. It didn't work. As a matter of fact, there's a misnomer in in life, and it's the idea that um, experience matters. And that's not entirely true. Let me help you out with what matters. Analyzed experience matters. Like, I know people, they'll say that. They'll be like, well, I've got 20 years on the job. Yeah, you've got about one year done 20 times over and over and over again. To have 20 years of experience means I've got 20 years of analyzed experience where I'm constantly learning and growing and expanding and moving forward. That's 20 years worth of experience because it's experience that I've analyzed. If you never sit back and look at what you've done, good or bad, sometimes with your successes, you just quick to take credit. Figure out why it succeeded and analyze that. When you fail, sit back, analyze, and figure out what made it fail, and then learn from it so you start again with a little bit more wisdom. Lastly, I'll say this. Whenever there is a moral failure... This is a little bit different. I felt like I needed to put this in. Whenever there is a moral failure, God has given us an open invitation to repent and come home. So let's be honest. Some of our failures that I'm talking about today, mostly in the realm of the ventures that we take on in life, but sometimes our failures are related to moral decisions. And those are not the ones to be laughed at. Those are the ones that we need to do the same thing. We need to let go of. We need to repent of. We need to give to God. We need to move on from and not let those things form our identity. But needless to say, they still need to be brought to our Heavenly Father and say, God, this was wrong. I went about it the wrong way. I had bad timing. I had wrong strategy. I don't, I'd lost my mind. And for that, I, I need your forgiveness. And I want to repent. Everybody say repent. Repent is a beautiful, amazing word. It literally means that God has given you the opportunity to turn around and go a different direction. Like, how many know life's not always like that? Our legal system doesn't work like that. If you rob a liquor store, you can say, you know what, I am never going to do that again. I am so sorry. Will you please forgive me? They don't care. You're going to jail. Your heavenly father gives you the opportunity to, to actually dial in with him to say, God, my heart, I want to be changed. and I want to change the direction of where I'm going, how I'm thinking, how I'm living. And God's given you that opportunity to turn those things around at any given moment in time. Let's pick up back the text. There's a little bit more in the text here I want to read. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 3, this is just a few verses later, it says that after Moses gives him the availability, God, I'm here, Moses still struggles with the fear of failure. Watch how it comes out. So God said to him, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their own slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So basically God's just giving him, hey, this is why I'm here and I'm going to use you to do it. And Moses responds in verse 11, it says, but who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? This is his moment of doubt. How many know if God called you to do something, some of you would be so excited, you'd take on hell with a water gun, and be like, I'm here, Jesus, whatever you need. 
Others of you are like, whoa, 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 I think you got the wrong guy. You don't know who I am. You don't know what my past is. Look at how many times I've failed. I'm actually not that gifted or talented God. I don't know what you're going to do with me. And then all of a sudden this idea, this fear of failure, what if, suppose it doesn't work out. I don't know. Who am I? And God's simple response in verse number 12, it's so amazing. It says, don't worry about it. I'll be with you. Let me tell you what, you and God make the majority. You and God can do all things. You and God, you make the majority. You and God can have victory. You and God can have success. You and God can win. You alone? That's iffy. You and God? That, that's, a, that's a dynamic duo. Here's my point, is that the ultimate answer for the fear, fear of failure is the presence of God. The ultimate answer for the fear of failure is the presence of God. Some of you are like, well, what does that mean? What I mean is this, is that as I know God, And the more I know God and the closer that I draw to God and his presence and his peace and his power and all that he is, is with me and in me and on me. I go through life knowing, you know what? Even if I fail, God is with me. If I succeed, it was because of God anyway. I'm just willing to be available and to try whatever it is that God has called me to do. Let me ask you this question. What would you do? What would you do if I told you there were no there was no way you could fail. That no, no matter what you attempted, no matter what you tried, that God would be with you and you wouldn't fail. What would you attempt to do? What would you go for? What would you try? What does God put in your heart? What has God called you to do? Because here's what I want you to know. That God is with you. And whatever God has called you to do, you go for it. Win, lose, or draw. It's not going to matter because he is with you. Lastly, and I'm closing right now, the Bible kind of gives us this whole picture of failure and success. And what do I do? And you see Moses' comeback simply comes upon him changing his mind about his past and becoming available. And in the midst of that saying, even though I feel like I still stink and I'm not very good at this, I'm just going to trust that, God, you are with me. And it's this beautiful picture of how we respond to failure. You're going to fail in life. Many of you, you've got your list of failures. We need to let them go and give them to God. Here's what I want you to do. Six questions to ask after a failure, and I'm done. Whenever you fail, first question I want you to ask yourself is this. What caused this failure? Like I said, analyzed experience matters. Just having a bunch of fails on your, on your, your resume doesn't necessarily look good. Analyzed experience, that's where it counts. So what was the cause of this failure? Go back and dig it up. Go back and look at it so we don't repeat that again. Here's a great question. What responsibility do I need to take? Blaming is the language of victims, and you are no victim. We do not start by pointing the finger at other people and blaming other people. We start by looking at ourselves. We put a little Michael Jackson, and we put a little man in the mirror in there, and we say, how can I, how can I take responsibility for this, and what do I need to look at? Number three is this, do I need to repent to God? Was this a moral issue? And do I need to repent to God? Do I need to ask someone for forgiveness? Many times our failures hurt other people. The way we take responsibility for that, not only do we repent to God, we go to the other person and confess and repent to them and we ask them for forgiveness. Number four is, or number five is this, what can I learn from what happened? Last question, where do I go next? Because you're going somewhere. Your life is not over just because of a fail, just because of a, of a misstep, just because you had wrong timing, wrong strategy, whatever it is, your life is not over. The Bible is full of people who made bad moral decisions and their life was not over. Here's what I would love to see you do. I'd love to see you just take a risk 
and trust God. Again, you cannot actually live by faith without taking a risk sometime in your life. What is it that God wants you to do? What is it that you need to go do next? What is it that you need to try or attempt? Win or lose, doesn't matter. Succeed or fail, doesn't matter. What is it that God has put in your heart to do? Now go and do it. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray, God, that that today is just a day where maybe we shake off the past. We shake off the past failures, the past mistakes, the things that didn't turn our way, the things that didn't go good. We need to let them go. They are not who we are, and they are not the end of our life. God, they are rather a stepping stone to where you want to take us. And so, God, today, many of us in this place, we, we need to let go of our failures and trust in you. And so, God, help us to change our mind about failure. Help us to not fear failure, but actually walk and live in faith and trust, knowing that, God, no matter what happens, good or bad, that you are with us. God, help us. God, let us become available to you once again. Lord, that is our prayer in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Amen.